We may not have the full picture right now. We may just have a partial. But what is the most attractive head coach opening in the NFL right now? You can try to match. It could be like the match game. You can try to match up coaching candidates with the most attractive jobs. It's interesting because the more I hear about, say, the Houston Texans, the more I hear that there are a lot of candidates out there that don't want that job. It isn't that a reflection of what we saw the last couple of years. David Culley may have been the eighth or ninth choice of the Texans. Wasn't that the year that, well, Deshaun Watson had asked for a trade. He wanted out. He was upset, according to his camp, because he wasn't considered and his voice and his word were not taken into account when it came to them hiring the general manager, who's now Nick Casario, and the head coach. And so I believe, if I remember correctly, that at the last second, Eric Bieniemy was brought in to interview with the Houston Texans. But yeah, they went through a bunch of different candidates, and they settled on David Culley. And we now know that he was always, more than likely, going to be a sacrificial lamb, which I, I hate how they treated him. Then you have a year with a guy who is on Cully's staff, which is even more of a clown move, right? So you don't keep Cully, even though the team played hard for him. Instead, you promote his defensive coordinator to head coach. Now, Lovey Smith had previous head coaching experience, but still, that was a mess. And whether or not Lovey Smith was fired because of the body of work or whether he was fired because he went against the front office's wishes or front office plan to have the number one overall pick. Regardless, they're about to, let's let's assume for, the, for a second that they can actually find a head coach who wants the job. I suppose you can always find someone. They're about to have their fourth head coach in four seasons. That's not a recipe for success. So when I ask you what's the most attractive head coaching job right now, I'm not sure how many people would say the Texans. Here's something, though, about the draft really quickly. I've said this before. People continue to come at me with their hot takes about how teams tank. Teams do not tank. Coaches do not tank, especially not in the NFL, where life comes at you fast and there is no patience. The average NFL career is not even four seasons long meaning the majority of players don't get a a second contract. Or if they do, they've been living on one-year deals and really no job security and not much guaranteed money. You cannot get a locker room full of athletes who are playing for their future and their jobs, as well as a coaching staff that recognizes wins are precious and hard to come by. And if you don't have a certain number of them, Sometimes, even if you do, you're going to get bounced. Don't give me some crap about how the Texans were tanking all season. If you think that, you weren't watching them. They played hard. They just didn't have the talent to compete with a lot of other teams. But they played their asses off. Even Brandon Cooks now is saying he's not interested in being part of a rebuild, meaning blowing it up. The issue, of course, is that they, well, one of the issues, but the the overarching issue is that they don't have the the same 
amount, the same caliber talent as what a lot of other teams do. You think about it, they've tried to go cheap. They've tried to go on the cheap. Really haven't addressed the quarterback position since Deshaun Watson was traded. They just, they traded him away and, okay. We'll do stopgap here. We'll kind of plug the hole there. But especially in the AFC, even now in the AFC South Division with a team that's got not just uh, Doug Peterson as a head coach, but has got Trevor Lawrence as a starting quarterback, you can't compete by plugging the hole at QB. That's also not a recipe for success in the NFL. So the Texans definitely have a job opening, but how attractive is it? Under GM Nick Casario, more and more it seems like he repels quality candidates as opposed to attracting them. And so that's one opening. We know that the Arizona Cardinals have fired Cliff Kingsbury. How much does that have to do with Kyler Murray? Kyler won't be available to start next season. But if you think about at least the speculation and what we saw on the sidelines, well, Cliff Kingsbury would chalk it up to a Gen Z thing. But at the same time, he and Kyler seem to have, at the very least, a communication problem. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence here on CBS Sports Radio. You can answer our question on our show Twitter, After Hours CBS, and also on our Facebook page. Which is the most attractive head coaching job at this point in the NFL? There could end up being more. So Arizona is one. I have heard, seen connections with Sean Payton that he's really interested in working for that team in that division. And part of the reason that Sean would be attractive is because of his offensive acumen. Now, Drew Brees was likely to be a Hall of Famer anyway. But he believed in Drew Brees. They had a phenomenal working relationship. And you want to talk about productive offense. Again, I'm not saying Kyler is Drew Brees. Drew is special. I'm flattered. (laughs) But how much could Sean Payton pour into Kyler Murray and put him in the right position to succeed? It's the same reason that the – well, one of the reasons that the Denver Broncos want to interview Sean Payton have already asked for permission from the Saints. Now, remember, Sean is still – Think of those stickers that they put on equipment. Property of the New Orleans Saints. He's still property of the Saints. Meaning the Saints will get compensation for him if they allow him to go coach somewhere else. I think theoretically they would love to have him come back, but it's fairly clear that's not his number one choice. So take our, it's not a poll, sorry. Answer our question on Twitter after our CBS or on our Facebook page. Carolina, the Panthers, are they moving forward with Sam Darnold as their starting quarterback? Or is there an opportunity to upgrade at that position? I would love it if Steve Wilkes got an opportunity to get a full season, have the interim removed. What I've heard from other Panthers, not Sam Darnold, but other Panthers, is that he brought credibility to the locker room and guys actually respected him where I I hate to say this. They didn't respect Matt rule because of where he came from and because of how he got the job. Is it Matt rules fault that they went through 
17 quarterbacks? No. But ultimately, he's the expendable piece. Coaches are the expendable piece. There were coordinators and and assistant coaches who were let go on Monday. We can talk about those particular jobs. There are still some that, or some franchises that are making decisions, and other franchises who may lose their coordinators to starting uh, to to uh, head coaching gigs. Their first potentially, in the case of say a Ben Johnson or an Aaron Glenn. So it's, you can go ahead and answer that question. I'm hoping that there will be fewer openings this year than there were last year. If you hear some Cowboys fans tell it, Mike McCarthy should be out the door immediately, if not sooner, the Cowboys don't win their playoff game on the road in Tampa. And so I don't think we have the complete picture yet. We don't know about Sean McVay. Could there be other changes? It's not going to be Detroit. I'll tell you that much. Our phone number is 855-212-4227. Emmanuel Acho is part of Speak on FS1. Are we? Wait, is, are you sure that's the name of it? Oh, okay. I thought there was another word there. But you know what? I don't watch a lot of FS1, so I will take your word for it, Producer Jay. He points the finger at the quarterback for Cliff Kingsbury getting fired. I blame the top, Steve Kime, for Cliff Kingsbury being hired. I blame Kyler Murray for Cliff Kingsbury being fired. One, the best mm. ability is availability. Yeah. Kyler Murray, they started off 7-2 and two last year. He got hurt. They began to, he began to be gone. They began to lose. This year they were already bad. Then Kyler Murray gets hurt once again, and they begin to lose. We're talking about the Cardinals not having an identity, and to some degree I agree with that. But why don't they have an identity? What did Kyler Murray say after the overtime win or the late game win against oh, the Raiders? Yeah. Kyler his, Murray's yeah. the one who said, hey, y'all got to be awake when y'all play with me. Yeah. Y'all don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> so what that. y'all are defining is Kyler Murray's ethos. He literally is like, at my core of a player, y'all just got to be awake. Right. I don't know what I'm going to do. So when you're saying the Cardinals don't have an identity – Because the quarterback don't have an identity. Well, he has an identity. I'm not sure it fits the team concept at this particular moment. But maybe having to spend time away from the game will be a more humbling experience for Kyler Murray. That's Emmanuel Acho and company on FS1. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. Uh, Producer Jay. Do you think it's been maybe 90 seconds since I said we don't yet have the full picture? Uh, We don't yet know if there will be other coaches that lose their gigs. And, of course, I mean, (laughs) right on the heels of that. These are my favorite tweets. We get a tweet from David. This presumes we've seen all the firings that will happen. (laughs) Thanks, David. (laughs) Literally, the words just came out of my mouth. Okay. That doesn't mean anything. (laughs) We know that Denver is looking for a head coach too. Indianapolis, unless the Colts decide, Jim Ursay decides uh, to keep Jeff Saturday and give him a full season or at least allow him to start next season. But does he still want the job full-time? Does he want to go back to his cushy TV desk if it continues to be as rough sledding, tough sledding, rough going as it was? They finished the season with seven straight losses. 
It has not changed my mind. Um, if, if I get this job, there's going to be significant change. You know, the way I do things is not the way things, um, you know, necessarily have been done. I have my own way. And so I, I think that's the part that, you know, as you're, as you're thinking about the way you want to run an organization as the head coach, that's, that would be my responsibility. You know, when I came in, I'm thrust into how things have been done, you know, for the past however many years. And I'm appreciative of that and, and the work that they've done and the success that they've had, uh, but it will look different. And so, you know, understanding that that's, that's been part of my learning lesson, chap, right, is I've, I've looked at the things that I really like about what we do and the things that I don't necessarily like that we do. And, and there has to be, uh, you know, to, to lead an organization, there has to be alignment from all of us, from, from Mr. Ursay and Ballard and myself and, and the entire organization of how this thing looks. And, and as a leader, if you don't have that, um, I, I don't think you'd be effective. And so there are things that I I would definitely do differently, and I think that's expected no matter if it's me or somebody else, right? There's, there's going to be change. Um, and so when I look at that, I, I, I'm, I, again, I assign the last eight weeks as incredible value that I can, I can learn what I, what I want to do and what I don't want to do and how to make those changes. And I think it gives me a very unique perspective um, that, that hopefully I can use you know, to better the team, better the organization. That was a long answer from Jeff Saturday. I don't know what it says. I'm just rambling right now. <laughs> I love Dean Campbell. I don't know. <laughs> In the last couple of days, we've had two incredible drops. Uh, one that came from Dean Campbell about, I don't know what it says. Uh, I'm just rambling right now. And the other one, and, and maybe this goes back. We just happened to use it in the last couple of days, but... Uh, it might it might have gone back to the national semifinal, but Jim Harbaugh, where he's talking about it wasn't always pretty. In fact, it was ugly a lot of the time. <laughs> it's not perfect. It's not pretty sometimes, usually, but it is us. <laughs> oh, some of these particular phrases or or drops taken out of context can be so applicable to our show. <laughs> But it is us. It is us. Some guy just yelled at me because we're having a coaching conversation when the season's not even over. I mean, I don't even know why you guys listen. If you hate the show and hate our topics so much, not only can you kick rocks, but you could probably find something else to listen to. But usually. I think it was last Friday when I tweeted, and I was, you know me, I was being tongue-in-cheek, but also there was an element of truth to it. Um, an element of observation to it that contrary to popular belief, we don't have to complain about everything every day. <laughs> and so and so I tweeted that last I, I think it was last Friday and the number of people who responded to it, it just it blows me away on the heels of what felt like the whole sports community coming together to support DeMar Hamlin, his family, the Bills, the Bengals, and then just as quickly people morph into bitching and complaining about everything. The NFL's response, why the Bills didn't get the top seed, the coin flip, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's nonstop, and really, I, I know I spend far too much time on social media. I wish I didn't have to, but... Because it's just me and Jay, we have to divvy up responsibilities, and social media happens to be mine. And so, yeah, on Friday morning, I did use the upside-down smiley face emoji, Jay. Wouldn't you say that's one of my top emojis? 
definitely. Definitely it, in the top three. It's playful, I think, but there was an element of truth. Contrary to popular belief, you, sports radio listeners, don't actually have to complain about everything every single day. You're like the the police out there, the sports the radio police. Brace it. <laughs> All right, we'll get away from the coaching stuff just a little bit, but I do have more. Uh, Bill Belichick is returning for his 24th season, but is Matt Patricia going to repeat as his offensive coordinator? Mike Vrabel, who had a special message for us here on the show, uh, four assistants fired on Monday. Uh, we don't know yet about the offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Mike Tomlin is still thinking about Matt Canada and whether or not there should be a change there. Oh, the the Cleveland Browns in that same division fire their defensive coordinator. So there are a bunch of changes. And and whether or not we have a few more head coaching jobs that become available, we don't know. In fact, I'm not even sure the Colts know if they're going to be hiring someone new. Same thing with the Carolina Panthers. There could be other jobs available once the playoffs cycle through as well. Though that always seems really sketchy to me. Sketchy and sleazy to fire your coach after you make it into the playoffs. Especially if you're a team that clinched a while ago or you clinched outright type of a thing. So, okay, find us on Twitter, After Hours CBS. What's the most attractive head coaching job right now? I mean, you even said right now, which, of course, would mean there could be other changes. People have selective reading, selective processing. Uh, also on our Facebook page. And our phone number is 855-212-4227. Uh, for those of you who follow me on Twitter or even listen to the show, I said it on Sunday night following the Bills' incredible triumph and the emotional return to the field uh, on Sunday after DeMar Hamlin's injury and and his life-saving measures on the field. I wanted so desperately to know his reaction to Naeem Hines going 96 yards on the first play of the game for a touchdown and the fans at Highmark Stadium just losing their minds, going ballistic with joy and excitement and I can't believe what I just saw. Well, we now know Damar Hamlin's reaction, and you will know it too following the break. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Temperatures around 35 degrees here this afternoon. As Folk puts his foot into the ball, it's going to be short. Fielded at the four by Hines. Coming straight up the middle to the 20. Cuts it back at the 25. He's got an alley down the right sideline to the 40. 50. Down to the 40. 35. 30. 20. 15. 10. 5. Touchdown. Naheem Hines. 96 yards. Run, run as fast as you can. You're not catching Hines. He's your end zone man. Buffalo on the board with the first play from scrimmage. On the kickoff return, I definitely was running down the sideline. I looked over and saw nobody, and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I might I might really be gone here. Just something I was going around my team saying, God's real. Like, you can't you can't draw that one up, write that one up any better. Um, and I, I was just told by Kevin Curran, it's been three years and three months. <sighs> Since the last kickoff return, so it's pretty cool. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Before Josh Allen got choked up, 
in his post-game press conference on Sunday talking about the first kickoff return for a touchdown by Naeem Hines. He called the moment bone-chilling. And the video of him standing on the sidelines with both hands on top of his helmet and his mouth wide open really a reflection of the initial reaction of so many people around the country. And I'm grateful that game was on national TV that I was able to watch it live because it's a moment that you really had to see to believe. And the reaction of the fans at Highmark, probably similar to the reaction of football fans around the country and potentially similar to the reaction of DeMar Hamlin in his hospital room in Cincinnati. Did you hear this on Monday? I love it because I tweeted that I wanted to know about the reaction, that I wish we had video. I wish we had some indication. Now, DeMar was tweeting, and he tweeted five letters uh, when Naeem Hines took that first kickoff, 96 yards. Uh, You can go and find it. If you don't follow him, I had retweeted it myself. But apparently, according to the doctors at the UC Medical Center, even as he was being released on Monday, and we'll get the update from his doctors here coming up. He was jumping up and down. He essentially was going ballistic, lost his mind. Apparently his heart is just fine. He set off every monitor in the ICU, according to his doctors. When Naeem Hines went 96 yards, Dr. Timothy Pritz said he very much enjoyed it. When the opening kickoff was run back, he got out of his chair, I think, and every alarm in the ICU was set off in the process. It was an appropriate reaction to a very exciting play. And then Britt says he was fine. (laughs) It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Dr. Timothy Pritz and Dr. William Knight, you'll hear his voice, talking about the latest with DeMar Hamlin's health. We shared last time that we were with you that our ultimate goal was to get DeMar uh, back home to his amazing family and the broader Buffalo family. Well, Dr. Prince and I are thrilled and proud on behalf of UC to report to you that DeMar Hamlin has been released and returned to Buffalo. I traveled with him to the airport this morning with our UC Health air care and mobile care crew, including teammates who were with us on the field when DeMar Hamlin collapsed. He landed safely and as standard as anybody who has gone through what he's gone through this past week. And certainly after flying on a plane, he is going to be observed and monitored to ensure that there's no impact on the flight of his condition or on his lungs. Dr. Prince and I have spoken extensively with his care team in Buffalo, and I can confirm that he is doing well. And this is the beginning of the next stage of his recovery. Super excited. Um, that he's back in Buffalo and uh, what a job the, the team of docs uh, and the medical team did out in Cincinnati. And, uh, and now he's in, in great care here in Buffalo. We're happy to have him back. And, and uh, you know, I did have a chance uh, uh, to see him a few minutes ago, Brandon and I, along with Nate Bresky and Tabani Richards were down there and um, he's doing well. And, and, um, a little bit tired, but uh, it was good to good to see him in person for the first time in, in a while. That's unbelievable. You know, I was just upstairs talking to somebody about when that would be. You know, and and uh, that's. I mean, just think about it. That was one week ago. Not even a week ago. Not even a week ago. Mm. There's no one in this room that would have expected he'd be in Buffalo. Um, 
you know, what we saw even even Tuesday morning. So, you know, God is great. He works miracles. This is certainly a miracle. There's no question. Um, just further goes, you, you can't say it enough. The people that responded on the scene gave him his, his best chance to do this. What a blessing. Um, just incredible progress that he's made and, and uh, incredible care that he's, that he's been uh, under, uh, like I said, both in Cincinnati and now here. So we're just very, very thankful for that. Uh, the team of um, the medical team that he's had around him and, uh, you know, again, singling out to body to body has been with him the whole time. And uh, so just thankful that DeMar is back and resting in, uh, in Buffalo here. I wanted you to get the reaction of Zach Taylor as well as Sean McDermott. It was Zach that said it wasn't even one week ago. As he's making his comments, and we're finding out on Monday morning that DeMar Hamlin took a flight back to Buffalo to continue his care, it wasn't even a week because it happened on Monday Night Football in Cincinnati. What a week it was. Atypical, unconventional I hope and pray we never have another week like that in the NFL. And yet the spirit, the compassion, the care, the generosity, of course, the praying, the support, all of that was so evident and played into Damar Hamlin's recovery, not to mention the joy of his family. And certainly the NFL, the athletes, being able to get back on the field. And what a moment it was. What a return it was. How triumphant. Simply for DeMar Hamlin, if for nothing else. As you heard with Chris Brown and Eric Wood on Bill's radio. From the category of you can't make this stuff up. I've used that category a lot in my 10 years here at CBS Sports Radio. It's starting to get pretty full. But there's always room for more. Especially when we're talking about these incredible sports moments. Speaking of that, I'm not sure how many of you have been following this story with Peyton Hillis uh, as a former NFL fullback, right, or running back. And the the news came out. There weren't a lot of details last week, so I didn't share it here on the show. And we obviously had a lot going on. Uh, but I was waiting for some more details, hoping uh, that we would get some more information to be able to, to pass along Still, the, the details are are scarce. But what we do know is that this former NFL vet is still in a Florida hospital, and he now is in desperate need of prayers. And if you didn't hear, he went into the ocean to save his kids from drowning. And now he's still dealing with kidney issues. And I guess they're serious. He's battling hard. But the fact that he's still in the hospital, he had to be airlifted because there were initially was lung damage as well as the kidney damage. His family is asking for prayers. And, and his uncle has indicated that he was doing a little bit better. He was also in ICU. But apparently now the major concern is his kidneys. And so I don't know a whole lot other than Wednesday. So this would have been right on the heels of DeMar Hamlin. And actually, I don't even think we knew it at the time. Wednesday night was when he first woke up. We didn't find out till Thursday morning. If I, 
I think that's the case. This is about 48 hours with Tamar where we were waiting for updates. So it happened on Wednesday that Hillis was at a, a beach in Pensacola, Florida, and he had to go into the ocean to rescue two of his children who were in danger of drowning. He's only 36 years old. Thankfully, his kids are okay, and and there were no serious repercussions, but he's still in a Florida hospital, and his family is asking for prayers, as many prayers as he can get. So we can think of, of him. I know people asked me last week, why so much attention on DeMar Hamlin? Why not law enforcement or natural disasters or other tragedies that occur? And you know what? You're right. Our law enforcement, our first responders put themselves in danger every day. Seems like every single time I turn on the news, there are more police officers getting attacked or firefighters that are injured or have died in the line of duty. We know, of course, the toll that war takes and the people that we send abroad to represent us, members of our armed services, they're in danger and in harm's way all the time. And yes, there are tragedies that happen every second in the United States. That's obviously not the show that we do. And I don't think it's a show that you would want to listen to. I'm not telling you those tragedies and natural disasters aren't important. There are times when I work them into the conversation. So I can't tell you exactly why the DeMar Hamlin challenge, the DeMar Hamlin health scare captivated a nation. There are a few factors. One is that it happened on national TV and there were, what, 25 million, if not more than that, people who were tuned in. Also, it played out live. This wasn't a video that people went back to watch though video is definitely powerful. But as we recall, it was Joe Buck, it was Troy Aikman at a loss for words. And then I think in addition to that, this is what it was for me, seeing the visceral emotional reaction of his teammates, the tears, in some cases, the sobbing, the shock, the disbelief, the devastation, the fear, the anxiety, and the fact that the NFL stopped a game. That hasn't happened since, what did you tell me, 1930, Jay? That, uh, and, well, that was the last time a game got canceled. Sorry. So the, the fact that a game was stopped and not continued, that's rare. And so for all of those reasons, it attracted more attention. But as one listener pointed out to me on, on Facebook, and I think this is critical, or pointed out, I wouldn't necessarily say it was to me, Thankfully, it did happen on national TV where an emergency, I'm sorry, that that sounded weird. Thankfully, it did happen on a game stage and that they were in a place like Cincinnati where this game was being held because the, the emergency action plan was kicked in right away. They were prepared for this. The University of Cincinnati Medical Center has the type of resources and doctors that can attend to this type of a trauma. And so I'm, I'm grateful that it happened the way that it did, but I can't explain to you all the reasons why DeMar Hamlin got more attention. I'm not sure that matters, right? I, I hate that people think that way. Why not pay attention to this person? Why not pay attention to this person? It's just not possible. It's not feasible. And it was a unique situation for a lot of reasons. I'm glad that it happened, though, because think about, again, the, ca- the, the care, the compassion, the generosity the number of people who banded together 
in support of Damar and his family is pretty amazing. We don't get a lot of unity in our country. But for a couple of days, it was pretty amazing to watch and to see and to hear. You can find me on Twitter, A-Law Radio. We're asking you which head coaching vacancy in the NFL is the most attractive right now. Uh, That's on our show Twitter. I actually have to retweet it. And so we'll take your responses also on our Facebook page. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. It's a touchdown Tuesday on After Hours. Firing for the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. Touchdown. Takes it himself to the pylon. Touchdown. One man to beat 10. He's gone. They throw in the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. Made a guy miss. He's inside the five. He's to the three to one. Tom steps. Feathers helping into the end zone. Touchdown. To cast your vote for the TD of the week, head to at After Hours CBS on Twitter or give us a call at 855-212-4227. The Cincinnati Bengals. Third down and four from the Baltimore 26. Burrow gesturing to his receivers. They shift slightly. Joe catches the shotgun snap. He throws it deep down the left field, uh, left sideline. Oh, a baby. leaping catch yeah. in the end zone. <laughs> Jamar Chase pulls it in, and the Bengals have scored again. Chase beating Worley, and with that throw, Joe Burrow has set the new single-season record for touchdown passes in a season, breaking the mark that he set last year. It's his 35th of the year. The Detroit Lions. Third and goal for the Lions from the six-inch line. Goff out of the gun. Hands to Jamal. This time he's in. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. They are back on top. Second of the night for Jamal Williams. 17th of the year, breaking Barry Sanders' all-time franchise record for rushing touchdowns in a single season. The Houston Texans. Empty backfield after motion. Fourth and 20 at the Colts 28. Mills all alone in the backfield. Here's the snap. Davis looking. He scrambles out to the right. Got to get rid of it. Throws it to the end zone and caught it. Jordan Akins. My goodness. On fourth and 20. Akins with the catch. The Buffalo Bills. Temperatures around 35 degrees here this afternoon as Folt puts his foot into the ball. It's going to be short. Fielded at the four by Hines. Coming straight up the middle to the 20. Cuts it back at the 25. He's got an alley down the right sideline to the 40. 50. Down to the 40. 35. 30. 20. 15. 10. 5. Touchdown. Naheem Hines. 96 yards. Run, run as fast as you can. You're not catching Hines. He's your end zone man. Buffalo on the board with the first play from scrimmage. Wow. It still gives me chills listening back to it. And then, of course, there was a second run back, a kick return that went 100 yards, 101 yards to be exact, for another touchdown in the third quarter. Naeem Hines, the Buffalo Bills, Chris Brown filling in for John Murphy on Bills Radio. But there were other very dramatic touchdowns in the NFL in Week 18. And while we're not going to do a poll, Jay wanted to, and I kind of feel like it's not necessary (laughs) 
<laughs> because Naeem Hines would win in a landslide, maybe similar, actually probably a greater margin of victory than what Georgia pulled against TCU a few hours ago. Uh, but we do want to include some of the other critical touchdowns just to indicate uh, that there were other dramatic moments like Jamal Williams' second touchdown for the Detroit Lions on Sunday Night Football that put the Lions ahead of the Packers at Lambeau and also gave him the franchise record 17 rushing touchdowns that passed Barry Sanders' mark set in 1991. That's Dan Miller on Lions Radio. It was Dan, right? You didn't use the Ryan Radke call. Okay, so Dan Miller on Lions Radio. Then we also had Dan Horde, Dave Lapham, brand new franchise record for Joe Burrow, 35th touchdown strike. And man, it was a beaut to Jamar Chase. Of course, they've got a long standing connection, long standing relationship. And then, which one am I missing? No, I just said Joe Burrow. <laughs> I say sometimes Jay does not listen to me when I talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay. I remember thinking with the Texans, when was the last time we had the Texans uh, in a poll for TD of the week or part of the TD of the week conversation? That's definitely the case. Uh, the Texans, Mark Vandermeer on their radio network, as Lovey Smith says, I don't care. I'm going out in a blaze of glory, baby. Uh, and he not only goes for the touchdown in the last minute as uh, Davis Mills throws to Jordan Aikens, but he also goes for the two-point conversion instead of the tie. Maybe that was part of his thinking. There is no way I'm sticking around for any more football this season. <laughs> and I don't think that's what got him fired, honestly. If you if you are an owner slash general manager and you're firing a coach because he doesn't tank, you're putting yourself in a precarious position. Remember the lawsuit that... Brian Flores filed against not just multiple teams, but also the NFL. Well, one of his claims in his lawsuit singling out Miami is that the owner in Miami actually requested him to tank and gave him financial incentives for losing games. And so that was one of the investigations that the NFL launched, which, of course, uh, generally the league is going to protect its own. Um, but this idea of tanking, even if that's not what Lovey Smith was doing, and I do not believe that either Lovey or the Texans players would ever contribute to losing on purpose because their jobs are on the line. It's fairly clear that the front office put him in a tough position and then a lot of fans believe that they tanked which is half the battle it's after hours on cbs sports radio